Welcome to Big Skywriter, the podcast for storytellers of all shapes and sizes. Whether you write novels, teach classes, or just tell your friends what you did last weekend, if you're a storyteller, this podcast is for you. Here's the host of Big Skywriter, Clint Morey. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for dropping by to listen. I have a story that I want to tell you. This happened, oh, about 77 years ago. January 23, 1943, the ship Dorchester, a converted luxury liner, left New York Harbor with over 900 people on board. It was on its way to Greenland. Now, as you can probably guess from the title of this episode, things are not going to end well for that ship. But before I tell you more about this ship, I would like to introduce you to four people. George Fox, Alexander Good, Clark Poling, and John Washington. Now, George Fox was born in 1900 in Pennsylvania. During World War I, he dropped out of high school, lied about his age, and went to fight in the Great War, serving in the Ambulance Corps. And he was a brave soldier. He earned many awards. In fact, during one gas attack, two fellow soldiers fell on the battlefield without their gas masks. George ran out to one of the men, gave the man his mask, and carried him back to safety. And then he returned a second time to get the other man, gave up his mask again, and carried the man back to safety. For his actions in the war, Fox earned the Silver Star, several Purple Hearts, and the French Croix de Guerre. And when he returned from the war, he finished high school, went to Moody Bible Institute, and became a Methodist minister serving in several churches. When World War II broke out, he volunteered to become an army chaplain, a 42-year-old army chaplain. He didn't have to lie about his age this time. It's interesting, on the day he began active duty, his son enlisted in the Marine Corps. Next man, John Washington. John was born in New Jersey in 1908. He graduated from Seton Hall and the Immaculate Conception Seminary, and he became a priest in the Catholic Church. In 1942, he also became an army chaplain. And then Clark Poling. Poling was born in 1910 in Ohio, and there were six generations of ministers in his family. And his father, Dr. Daniel Poling, was a famous radio evangelist of the day. In high school, Clark was a student athlete, a student body president. He graduated from Yale. He was an ordained minister in the Reformed Church in America. Now, Clark's father had been a chaplain to American troops during World War I, and he warned his son about the dangers a chaplain could face in combat. But Clark felt it was his duty to serve, and he, too, became a chaplain in the United States Army. And Alexander Good. Alex was born in New York in 1911. His father was a rabbi, and Alex sought to follow in his father's footsteps. He graduated from the University of Cincinnati and Hebrew Union College, and after Pearl Harbor, he also became a chaplain in the Army. George Fox, John Washington, Clark Poling, and Alexander Good. They became Army chaplains in World War II, and they met each other at the Army Chaplain School at Harvard. And then they were assigned to join hundreds of other soldiers being sent to Greenland. And that brings us back to our ship, the Dorchester. 
The Dorchester was built in 1926 to be a luxury liner that would carry passengers up and down the east coast of America. But when World War II broke out, the ship was converted into a transport ship. The luxurious accommodations were ripped out and redesigned in order to carry 750 troops, a crew of 130, and over 20 armed Navy guards. The ship also carried a thousand tons of equipment, food, and other items. Now, this was the fifth trip that the Dorchester made across the North Atlantic, and they hit bad weather very early in their journey. But bad weather wasn't their only problem. The Dorchester was part of a convoy that included two converted freighters, and they were protected by three U.S. Coast Guard cutters, and the protection was needed. They were heading into a shipping lane that was patrolled by German submarines. And, what the members of the Dorchester didn't know at the time, the Germans knew they were coming. Four U-boats had taken positions along the route they would travel, waiting for them. And during the days at sea, the chaplains circulated among the men. They held religious services. They spent time interacting with the men, sometimes encouraging them, sometimes comforting them, and sometimes praying with them. And then one day, the U.S. Coast Guard cutters gave the news. They had picked up submarines on radar, and then they set out to attack them with depth charges. And their action seemed to work. The radar contact ceased. The captain of the Dorchester, however, was very concerned, and he gave an order. Quote, Every soldier is ordered to sleep in his clothes and life jacket. Repeat, this is an order. We have a submarine following us. If we make it through the night, in the morning we will have air protection. Unquote. Despite the orders, below deck, life was miserable. It was hot, uncomfortable, and many of the soldiers took off their life jackets and just wore their underwear just in order to get a good night's sleep. They didn't know that about a thousand yards away from the ship, a German U-boat, U-223, was on the surface, and thus it was undetectable by the Coast Guard radar, and they had the Dorchester in their sights. At 12.55 a.m., U-223 fired three torpedoes at the Dorchester. One torpedo hit the former luxury liner below the waterline, and the explosion killed dozens of men. The bunks collapsed on top of one another. Steam lime split open. The power went off. Water poured into the ship, and the lights went out completely, plunging everyone into darkness. Men screamed and tried to get out. Dozens more would drown, unable to get free from their bunks or navigate their way to the top deck. The ship almost immediately listed 30 degrees to starboard, making it even more difficult to get out. Many of the soldiers wandered around in their underwear trying to find a life jacket. Some died looking for the items in the darkness. Some made it to the top deck. But arriving on the top deck, many soldiers learned that a lot of the lifeboats were inoperable, some because of the list of the ship, some because of the ice that could not be chipped off in time. And when the chaplains reached the main deck, many of the soldiers were too frightened to jump into the water. The chaplains encouraged those with life jackets to take the leap. It was their only hope to survive. And even though the soldiers had been ordered to wear their life jackets at all times, 
Many of the men were now on deck without a life jacket, and they didn't know what to do. The chaplains managed to find a storage locker with life jackets, and they quickly handed them out to the frightened soldiers. It didn't take long for the storage locker to be emptied, but there were still many who didn't have life jackets. And jumping into the freezing waters of the North Atlantic without a life jacket was a death sentence. Now, I have difficulty even imagining what it must have been like on the deck of the Dorchester. It actually took less than 20 minutes from the time it was hit by the torpedo until it sank into the North Atlantic. 20 minutes, and the entire time filled with confusion, fear, terror. And what were the chaplains doing? And we know because some of the survivors saw what happened. Each of the chaplains took off their life jackets and gave them to men who didn't have one. These were the men who had disobeyed direct orders. Still, the chaplains gave their life jackets to people in need. Of the more than 900 men on board, only 230 survived. As the ship slid under the waters of the North Atlantic, several of the survivors said they saw the four chaplains standing side by side, singing and praying to the very end. The sinking of the Dorchester is a storage of courage, of heroism, and of faith. We know how George Fox, Alexander Good, Clark Poling, and John Washington acted in their final moments of life, but it raises a question each of us should consider. If you were on board a ship that was sinking and people didn't have a life jacket, would you give up your life jacket? in order that someone else might live? Think about it. And if you'd like to know more about this story, I'll include some links to sources in the podcast description. In the next section, I have a book I would like to recommend to you. Stories Matter. You can probably tell from some of the stories I've shared that I like heroes. It doesn't matter if I'm reading a history or fictional stories, if I'm watching a movie or tucked up with a novel. I don't care the format. Give me a hero, someone willing to take risks, to suffer, to fight for a noble purpose, someone I wish I was like. Now, I may not face the same type of problems a hero faces with the same risks, but hearing their stories challenges me to take a stand on matters that are important. Heroes Inspire Me. There's a book I encourage you to read about one such hero, The Volunteer by Jack Fairweather. The Volunteer tells the story of Whitehold Pilecki, and I have to apologize if I'm mispronouncing the name. I have to admit my Polish isn't all that good. In August of 1939, reports came in that Germany was about to attack Poland. Pilecki, a reserve second lieutenant, was ordered to gather his volunteer troops and join the battle against the powerful German army. Now, Pilecki was a cavalry officer, but at that time in history, the Polish cavalry was soldiers riding on horses. He had trained about 90 cavalry troops, and most were peasants and had no experience at war. A few didn't even have horses. They had to ride bicycles. It took the men several days to get to the front, And when they arrived, the Germans attacked. 
and the Poles had no way to stop the infamous German Blitzkrieg. More than 600 tanks, supported by dive bombers, plowed their way through Poland, followed by the ground troops. I've often wondered what it must have been like for those soldiers on horseback as they faced the modern-day cavalry, tanks. Well, the Poles retreated, but the tanks were faster even than the horses and caught the retreating Polish troops. They decimated the Poles. Somehow, Pilecki managed to escape and find about a dozen survivors, and they sought to join other units to continue the fight, but the Germans were unstoppable. Poland had been defeated, and Pilecki began to work with people who would form what would become a resistance movement against the Nazis. As the Germans continued their sweep and took over France and most of Europe, the Poles realized there was little they could do. Now they heard about a concentration camp the Germans set up in Poland, and it was surrounded in secrecy, but there were rumors of brutality and killing, and the underground asked Pilecki to enter the camp. They wanted him to get information about what was really happening and then share it with them outside the camp so that they could share it with the people fighting the Nazis. And then they also asked that he organize a resistance movement within the camp so that they could escape. Pilecki agreed to volunteer. Now think about that for a minute. He was asked to go in to this special camp where people were killed. Pilecki agreed to volunteer, and he arranged for himself to be captured during one of the Nazi roundups. The volunteer is the story of Pilecki's two and a half years in the concentration camp we know as Auschwitz. It's a thrilling story to be sure, but it's not an easy story to read. It's very revealing of the human heart. What men are willing to do to one another and how difficult it is to stand up to evil. But I believe this is an important book, and I encourage you to read it and to consider how you would react if you were placed in similar circumstances. I give the volunteer five stars, and I'll put a link to Amazon in the description below. Stories and Storytellers One of my favorite storytellers is a man who usually isn't credited with being a storyteller. But he was, and he was even known in his time as a great storyteller. We know him as Abraham Lincoln. This short quote was credited to him during the Civil War, and it seems very appropriate to our society today. He said, How many legs does a dog have, if you call the tail a leg? Four, calling a tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Those words by Abraham Lincoln, they're worth thinking about. Now before I go, I'd like to share a blessing with you from the Old Testament. May the Lord bless and protect you. May the Lord's face radiate with joy because of you. May he be gracious to you, show you his favor, and give you his peace. Number 6, 24 to 26. Until the next time, be the reason someone smiles today. Mm -hmm.